Well, good morning. A little chilly outside today. Getting ready for Christmas. How many of you love, love, love Christmas? That was kind of weak. <laughs> Woohoo! Come on, let's hear it for Christmas. Christmas is awesome. I love Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, they say. It's hard to believe that um, next week we are going to conclude a series of messages that we have been exploring this entire year. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. So I invite you to come back next Sunday. We're going to kind of take this entire year that we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to just kind of bring it all together. And um, I hope you'll be able to join us for that. This fall, however, we have been talking about a dimension of what it means to be a disciple. And that is to do what Jesus did. Disciples do what their rabbi does. And so we've been looking at these topics throughout the fall. Jesus served people in need. We're asking ourselves, like Jesus, are we serving people in need? Jesus connected with people who shared a faith in God as his family. Jesus shared God's truth with anybody who would listen. Jesus mentored others in their faith. And then we've been exploring uh, last Sunday and today this idea that Jesus made sacrifices for the good of others. And just by way of a quick review of last week and some of what we were talking about, we were talking about this. If we see Jesus making sacrifices in his life for the good of others, then we too as Christ followers, if we call ourselves Christians, which is a follower of Christ, then we too ought to be willing to make sacrifices in our life for the good of others. And what we were talking about last week in relationship to the decision to make sacrifices, we, we observe this, you, you can't be a Christ follower and be stingy, selfish, or self-centered. I, I mean, you can, but you're not following Jesus. It's just not anything like how Jesus lived his life at all. He was the opposite of that. He wasn't stingy, he wasn't selfish, and he wasn't self-centered. And so we concluded last week's message with this observation. When you sacrifice something important to you in order to benefit another person, you're acting like Jesus. You're doing what Jesus did, and that's what disciples do. Does that make sense? Anybody remember all that from last week? All right. You guys excited to be here? It's an exciting morning. You know what we get to do today? We get to talk about one of the most sensitive and most unpopular topics in all of Christianity. We get to do that today together. You're pretty fired up, I can tell. Now, before we get started, let me remind you something I said last week. I can't make you believe anything. I can't make you do anything, and I shouldn't. 
what you choose to believe and how you choose to live your life in relationship to your beliefs, that's your choice. You make those decisions. So today we're going to talk about a topic and you'll get to decide just like last week, you'll get to decide what you're going to believe to be true about what I share. And some of you, you may choose to believe that, well, Paul's an idiot. And so you'll, that'll be your belief. And then you'll get to choose to do what you'll do in response to what you choose to believe. Does that make sense? So today I'm just going to, I'm just going to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches us about a very, very, very critical topic in relationship to this idea of Jesus making sacrifices for the good of others. You ready? So I'm going to, I'm going to start out with an illustration. I made the illustration up. It's not true. It has a truth to it. And I need to give you a warning about the illustration. It's about food. Now that's always risky for a preacher because if he does a really good job at describing food, he runs the risk of it wetting the appetite of the audience and you guys start salivating, your mouth starts watering and then you get mad at the preacher because now you have to sit through the entire message when what you really want to do is go to lunch. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, give me some grace, all right? I want you to imagine that um, I'm working on this enormous landscaping project in the front of my house. It's my Friday's my day off. It's the only day I have to do the project. The rest of the weekend's very busy. I just have Friday. Unfortunately, this Friday that I'm going to do this project, it happens to be on a very cold and kind of a rainy day. So it's a miserable day to be working outside. And I've got some shrubs to dig up. I've got some trenches to run so we can put some line in for some landscape lighting. I've got some limbs to trim out of oak trees. I've got some um, fill dirt to move around to build some shapes in my landscaping. And I have lots and lots of mulch to carry into spread. Because I only have the day, I work straight through lunch. And at about dark, I finish up. I am absolutely exhausted. And I'm famished. So I come in the house, and my wife has prepared this amazing meal for me. Like more food than any one person should eat. I go grab a quick shower get into some dry clothes, and I am so hungry. And there sitting at the table is this, it's like, it's, it's like a smorgasbord. My plate has three items on it. One is an eight ounce, perfectly prepared ribeye steak. It's been seared with some cracked peppercorn, some sea salt, and a little bit of herbs. Next to it is a half dozen fresh oysters on the shell. And then an enormous Idaho baked potato 
sliced down the middle, steam coming out of it, two generous slices of butter, some salt, and some pepper. But we're not done yet. <laughs> She's made not one, but two salads. There's one salad, it's iceberg, lettuce, it's got some diced tomatoes, some sliced cucumbers, it's got some cheese, and some ranch dressing and croutons. The other salad is a spring mix. It's got some walnuts, some cranberries, some feta cheese, and some oil vinaigrette on top of it. And I got more sides than any one person should have. I got some kernel corn. I've got some green beans wrapped in bacon sprinkled with some brown sugar. I have some Brussels sprouts, some okra, some red beets. For dessert, I have two choices. Two choices, not just one. Two choices. I have a slice of cheesecake with some strawberry syrup and a big slice of pecan pie with a big dollop of whipped cream. Get the picture? Now it's an illustration. <laughs> Lo and behold, you show up in my kitchen. You too, just down the road, you've been working on your landscaping project all day in the rain, in the cold, and you are exhausted and you too are famished. And you ask me, Paul, could I have some of your food? And I say, well, of course you can. I'd love to share some of this food with. And I'd say, do you like seafood? And you'd say, I love seafood. And I'd say, here, have these oysters. Do you like vegetables? Yes, I love vegetables. Oh, look at these beautiful. Here, take this okra. Take these Brussels sprouts. Take these red beets. Do you like salad? Here, take this spring green salad. Take, take, and, and take the pecan pie. It's just, it's, that'll be more than you can possibly eat. Now, before you're impressed with my kindness, before you're impressed with my generous offer of all that food, before you're inspired by my incredible willingness to sacrifice such delicious items, you should know something. I hate oysters. <laughs> I can't eat oysters. It's a texture thing. Way too slimy for me. Truth of the matter is, I hate okra and I hate Brussels sprouts. I never eat them. The truth is, I can't get red beets past my front teeth or I start gagging. <laughs> a salad of spring greens, I refer to that as grass clippings. I have no interest. And pecan pie, I've had pecan pie, but there's like a dozen other pies I like a whole lot more, especially if the competition is a slice of cheesecake. Did you follow that? Now, if you go asking for a slice of my ribeye steak, you might see my arm slide around my plate in a gesture of protection. You see, me giving up the oysters and the Brussels sprouts and the okra, 
that's no sacrifice for me. I wasn't going to eat them anyways. I don't like them. They were just going to go to waste. I'm glad somebody else is going to enjoy them. I don't like them. So it was absolutely no skin off my back to offer them to you. In other words, they hold no value to me. Do you get that? Now, you might be different. You might have a different set of values and you go, ooh, red meat, I'm not eating that. Oysters, oh, I love oysters, love Brussels sprouts, I love okra. So you just have a different set of values than I do. Does that make sense? So when we talk about sacrifice, we have to understand this. Sacrifice is judged on a scale of value. The greater the value, the greater the sacrifice. Does that make sense? If you have an old tricycle hanging up in the rafters of your garage and it's all rusty and your kids are long gone and, and it's just sitting there and somebody asks you, can I have that tricycle? And you, you're like, sure, I can give that away. It might have some sentimental value, but not anymore. And so you have, but if somebody said, could I have your brand new car that you bought two weeks ago? It'd be a little bit harder of a decision for you to think about giving that up. Why? Because it has greater value. You with me? Now, this is important to our discussion today. Secondly, value is measured on a scale of worth or rarity. If something has tremendous worth to us, then it holds more value. Or if something's rare, like we don't have a lot of it, then its value is greater. That's why custom art is more valuable. Or more expensive because it's rare handmade items are rare and so they're more valuable you with me no no are you with me this is really really important to our discussion today so sacrifice is only sacrificial if it involves giving up something of great value to you It'd be a sacrifice for me to give away my ribeye steak. It's no sacrifice for me to give up my oysters. So there's some things in our life that have value to us. They're worth something to us. And we looked at some of them last week. Our time is valuable, especially if you spend a lot of time working and you don't have much free time, then your free time is very valuable to you. It's hard for you to give that up. Our comfort, for some people, comfort is an extremely high value. They don't like to be outside of their comfort zone. Some people... Convenience is an enormous value to them. They don't like to be inconvenienced. And when somebody asks them to give up what's convenient for them, it's hard. It seems like a sacrifice. Money, enormously valuable. It's hard to give it up. It's hard to sacrifice it. Talent, the skill sets that we have, 
oftentimes they're out to the highest bidder. It's hard for us to give away our talents for free and popularity. These days, this is huge. It's hard to give up our popularity. Don't, please, don't miss the enormous connection between your brain and social media. Some people, they live for the likes, they live for the laughs, they live for the one, you know, they're, they're the ones who kind of stir the pot and create controversy in their social media posts because they get response or reaction and that just gives a hit of dopamine in their brain and it makes them feel good. And so some people, it's really hard to give up social media because their value thrives on it. And of this list, there's two that go to the top of the list. Time is extremely valuable to us. Money is extremely valuable to us. You with me? All right. So what can we learn about sacrifice from like the Old Testament? Well, it's interesting in the Old Testament, there's several very clear demonstrations of value that's a part of Jewish worship. And we're, we're going to just look at three of them. There's this idea of animal sacrifices. There's this idea of an offering called first fruits. And then there was this offering called the tithe. And we think we know what these are about. But we really don't. I'm going to just quickly explain these three things to us here this morning. See, in the Old Testament, the subject of sacrifice is very different from the subject of sacrifice in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's about giving up things that are valuable to us. In the Old Testament, sacrifice was something that was integrated into the very act of worship for an Old Testament worshiper. They were still asked to give up something of value. It's just very different than what we are asked to give up today. So let's talk about this animal sacrifices. And if you know anything about your Old Testament, an Old Testament worshiper, particularly if they were guilty of having done something which was defined as sinful, they were to take an animal, usually a lamb. They were to go to the temple and the priest would sacrifice that animal on behalf of the worshiper as a way for them to experience forgiveness and maintain a standing of righteousness before God. But do you know anything about what God required regarding the animal sacrifice? He had one particular instruction. That animal, that lamb had to be without defect. In other words, it couldn't have a skin rash and its wool was bad. Or it couldn't have a blind eye or it couldn't have a lame leg. If it was somehow broken in those ways, it couldn't be brought to the altar as an act of worship before God. It wasn't acceptable to him. Now think about that. It had to be without blemish. You see, this is about value. You see, the lamb that was without blemish could also be sold in the marketplace and it would be sold for the very best price. 
So the worshiper could take his very finest lamb, take it to the market and make a lot of good money, which with he would put a roof over his family's head and he'd buy food for his family and provide clothing. He'd provide for their needs and he could make a lot more money with a lamb that was without blemish than another one. But you see, God saw the value and he deserved the very best. Does that make sense? So it's interesting throughout the Old Testament, we see God confronting the nation of Israel at times because they spiraled down into a practice where they'd say, I'm not going to give God my very best lamb. I could take that to market and make a lot of money. What I'll do, like we could outsmart God, is I'll go back into the flock and I'll find the lamb that's lame or blind or diseased and I'll bring that to God as an offering like God wouldn't notice. And so on several occasions, we see God confronting the nation of Israel because they're bringing the lame, the blind, the diseased lamb as an offering. And it's demonstrating something about value. So we see this in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. God confronts the nation of Israel and he says this, a son honors his father and a slave honors his master. If I'm your father, this is God asking the nation of Israel. If I'm your father, then where's the honor that's due to me? You give it to your fathers, but you won't give it to me. If I'm a master, where's the respect that I'm deserving of, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, and this is how the whole book of Malachi is structured. But you ask Israel, how have we shown contempt for your name? We don't get it. Well, you've offered You've been offering defiled food on the altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? Well, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is, is that not wrong? Try offering those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? And the answer is no. Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offering from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors. Like don't even go through the motions so that you would not light useless fires on my altars. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. Why? Because you're not bringing anything of value. My name, God says, my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations. Will you bring me things of value that are equal to my great name? When you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Curses the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock, a one that was without blemish and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord for I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You see, it wasn't about the lamb. It was about the value that it held in the heart of the worshiper. 
Let's look at some of these other ones. The first fruits. It was a practice in the nation of Israel that every time the farmer went out to take in his harvest, he was to take a first percentage of the harvest and he was to bring that to the temple to provide for the needs of the people in the nation of Israel and for the priest. What was it about? It was about bringing God the first and the best because you recognize that you wouldn't have any of it without God. So God gets my first of what I bring in of income. The tithe. The word tithe. We, we call it the tithe. It's, it's unfortunate. The word tithe is just a unit of measure. The word tithe means a tenth. You could have a tenth of. You could have a tithe of a mile. You could have a tithe of a gallon. You could have a tithe of a paycheck. It's, it's just a tenth. But the tithe had a particular purpose in the life of the nation of Israel. That every time a worshiper brought the tithe as an offering to the Lord, he was doing so because he remembered that I wouldn't have any of this if it weren't for God. And what was the primary industry of the Old Testament? They were an agrarian society. So people were farmers and people were ranchers and people had vineyards and, and people uh, grew crops. So they take the crops to the market and they get paid for it. And they would then receive that money in return for their harvest or a tenth of it. So they were bringing a tenth of it because it was a way that they brought what they had by way of income to the Lord. Because they remembered that if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have the sun. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't have the rain. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't have ground to work the way that it does and seeds to work the way that they do. It was all because of God. And the tithe was a demonstration of, oh, I give a tenth of all that I've brought in. I give a tenth of it to God to say, thank you for your blessing toward me. Without you, I wouldn't have any of this. It's all a declaration of value. Does that make sense? So. We learned some really important things from the Old Testament about the first fruits and about the tithe and about the sacrifices. God, again, confronts the nation of Israel. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Again, the nation of Israel. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? You're robbing me in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for to enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. I'm the one that does that. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You see, there was far more to it than the religious ritual of bringing the animal sacrifice. There was far more to it than the religious ritual of offering the first fruits. There was far more to it than the religious ritual of bringing a tithe. It was all a demonstration of the value that God held in the life of the worshiper. 
the sacrifices, the offerings, and the tithes of the Old Testament were all an indicator of God's worth to the worshiper. Now, our life as Christians in the 21st century, it's different than that of the Old Testament worshiper. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of the obligations of the Mosaic law were rendered no longer in effect. And now we have a new opportunity under the grace of God to continue to show God his value to us. It's just, it's different. You know, it's so interesting. So many Christians and churches, we use this word glory or to glorify God. And yet most of us don't even know what it means. The Hebrew word glory, you know what it means? Do you know what it means? Are you interested? It means heavy. You're like, well, that's not very helpful. The word glory or glorify is a word demonstrating the amount of weight that God carries in your life. Just how important is he? We glorify God when we demonstrate that God has enormous weight in our life. He's extremely valuable to us. So it's interesting how Christians today demonstrate the weight that God carries in their life. It's interesting that what we learn from the Old Testament about sacrifice and value is some principles that abide into our lives today as Christians. Here's what we learn is that you give God your first. You give God your best. You give God your reverence. That's what the worship of the Old Testament was about. You give God your thanks that you recognize that it all comes from him and you give God your glory that all the credit goes back to him because he holds such enormous value. Did you follow all that? So it's interesting to look at how this works in many Christian families today. About the weight that God carries in their life. And so you look at most contemporary budgets and it looks like this. The first goes to our mortgage and the utilities. The best goes toward insurance and vehicles. And then we got to buy food and we got to wear clothes and our kids need an education. And there's all these things that we like to do that are recreation and like these things of entertainment. And there's lots of other things. And then for many Christian families, this idea of tithing or giving or making donations to the work of God is usually way down the list where there's really just not a whole lot left. And that's inconsistent with the principles of the scriptures regarding the value of God in our life. That that ought to be first as a way of demonstrating to God, I recognize that I wouldn't have any of it if it didn't come from you. So let's be honest to something here today. In the Old Testament, they were farmers and ranchers and, and they grew crops and that's what they took to the market and they sold it and they were paid for it so that they could provide for their family's needs. Most of us today, we're not raising sheep. 
and we're not farming crops. We work in other industries, we do other jobs, but we get a paycheck for it. It's the re return on the work that we have done. And so what has value to us is this. And we have to ask ourselves, what kind of weight does God carry in our life in relationship to the thing that has the most value to us? So Jesus said, don't, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal all the stuff that can be taken away. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, treasures have value. Where your treasure is, that's where your what? Your heart will be. You see, your treasures reveal something about your heart. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about how we can become blind to the nature of money and its worth in our life. Here it is. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it all comes down to worth and value. You cannot serve both God and money. They'll compete for who holds the most value. Jesus talks so often about the nature of money, but he's not talking about dollars and cents. He's talking about value. We think that it's about dollars and cents and it's about a completely different topic. And this one's hard to hear. And this one's hard to be honest to. But the things that have greatest value to us, then God has a name for them. They're called idols. An idol is anything that we worship above God, anything that we assign greater worth than God. So when God's at the bottom of the list, we're showing him that there's something that we worship more. Jesus was simply explaining the value of money as an indicator or a barometer of what's really true about our hearts. It's not about dollars and cents. That's why the Apostle Paul gives this instruction to the early church. He says, instruct or command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth because that's a declaration of one's values. Because that's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, here's what our wallets reveal about us. It reveals what's most valuable. And our values are indicated by the priorities that we chase after. And our priorities show us where our affections are. And our affections determine our loyalties. And our loyalty ends up becoming 
the things that are, we are most devoted to. And what we are most devoted to is an indication of where our faith lays. So when we talk about sacrifice, we can't escape the parallel of where our money fits into that topic because our money represents things of worth and value. And what are we willing to do with what we think is most valuable is an enormous indication to God of his worth to us. Paul writes to the early church, remember this. It's, it's like the seeds that you put in the ground. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, the Old Testament gave very specific instructions about the percentage of income that an Old Testament believer was to bring to the altar or to the temple. And it's different for us in the New Testament, but it's probably harder. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly when you give to him as a demonstration of his worth so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why? Because he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Watch this. This is so important. This service, what service? The service of giving. This service that you perform is not only supplying for the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you proved the confession of your faith, you proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and everyone else. Do you know that every quarter we receive a letter from Daniel Aday at the Ministry of Mercy Orphanage in Otutulu, Nigeria, to thank this church for the enormous gift that we give them each quarter of the year so that they can buy food for 300 orphans so that we can put clothes on the back of 300 orphans, so that we can provide an education and medical care for 300 orphans. That's this church. People giving thanks for our generosity toward them. And in their prayers for, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you and you sharing with him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, when you and I give to Cibolo Creek Community Church, it doesn't just go to lights and air conditioning. The highest percentage of it goes toward meeting the needs of our community and around our world. Very real lives of human beings. But it's not about dollars and cents. 
It's about the value that God has in our life. So I leave you with this. Money reveals more about our heart than our wealth. So can we be really honest? Can we? Now, this is hard. This is hard for me as it is for anybody. But let's be really honest with the value that our money represents as something that we make available to God. What am I telling God by what I do with my money? Well, depends on the person. I could be saying, God, I, I can do this without your help. We could be saying, God, I, I don't owe you anything. We could be saying, I'm not willing to do what you ask me to do, God. That's the truth of the matter. We could be saying, hey, God, it's my money. I earned it. It's not yours. Or we could just be saying, God, you're just not worth that much to me. But here's what I know about you. None of us wants to say that to God. So the question that all of us, the preacher included, that we have to honestly deal with is what am I doing with the thing that holds the greatest value to me, my money? What am I doing to show God his enormous worth in my life? His value to me as a Christian who's been the recipient of his enormous blessings of salvation and forgiveness. That's a question that all of us have to ask in relationship to the example of Jesus who is willing to make sacrifices for the good of others. And the question becomes this, am I? Am I willing to sacrifice something that holds tremendous value to me because it can serve the good of others? Am I willing to do that? It's a lot to think about. And you're very quiet right now. And I understand. But like I told you in the beginning, you don't have to believe any of that. But I ask you to give it careful consideration. So with the few moments that we have left, let's be reminded about the enormous sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for you and for me. Underneath your chair, you'll find the elements for communion. We're going to spend a few minutes together remembering Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. In the top of the item underneath your chair, you'll find a cracker. I'm reminded of one of the most popular passages in the scripture. For God so loved you that he did what? He gave. He gave his, and the scripture is very clear, his one and only son. Talk about worth and value. But he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son because he wanted to serve you and me by granting us salvation so Jesus asked us 
as often as you eat this bread. I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made of my son in order that you might benefit forgiveness, salvation, and eternity. For as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of Christ. just how great of a sacrifice was Christ willing to make he emptied himself of all of life in the shedding of blood he provided everything necessary for the forgiveness of sin before a holy and righteous God and why because he loved you and he was willing to make that sacrifice for your good Reminding us that if we want to be like Christ, we too would be willing to make sacrifices for the good of others. But we'll never outdo his sacrifice. So Jesus asks us as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of Christ. This is a lot to think about. And I appreciate you being here today, taking the time to give it your consideration. I leave you in the hands of the Holy Spirit to be at work in your heart and your life to make sense of what it is that you've heard today, perhaps what you've just been introduced to for the first time. But I ask that you carefully consider the worth that God holds in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ in relationship to the things that hold the most value to you. Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your outrageous love, your enormous grace toward us. Thank you that it's in your heart to give your heart to make an enormous sacrifice on our behalf so that we might receive the benefits of our sins forgiven, the hope of salvation and the gift of eternal life. And I pray, Father, that as we endeavor to be followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, that we will look honestly at our own life and ask ourselves, am I too willing to make sacrifices for the good of others? So, Father, be at work in our hearts and in our minds about the things that are of most value to us. And I pray and ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.